excited to be here as well. And uh, we are glad to have you back for this series that is called I Can't Believe. Have any of you ever been there? You don't need to raise your hands, but I, I would imagine in a group like this, there is a, a, handful of us, uh, a handful of us that have been there where we would say that I just can't believe. And it may be because of a circumstance, something that happened in your life, something that you struggled with, and your belief was just kind of, I don't know, for some of you it may have been shattered. For others it may have not have been shattered, but it may have just been put on the back burner a little bit. There may have been a season in your life where they're like, I don't want to believe because I like the way I live my life right now a lot better than I need to live it if I believe. Well, that's what this series is about. It's about addressing individuals. It's about addressing people if you are an individual that is struggling in your belief. But hopefully throughout this series, we've encouraged you all right, um, along the lines of even as a believer, if you are a believer, that, hey, how is it that I need to live my life? What is the faith that I need to have? What do I need to do in my life that I need to be about believing so that I can believe? So in this series, we are going through the Gospel of John. We are looking at the Gospel of John. And uh, you know what? Before I do that, let me just remind you, um, we are going to be taking communion a little bit later. Um, communion, I'll talk about that a little bit later, but uh, hopefully you received a cup on your way in. If you did not, just discreetly um, somewhere along the message say, I'm falling asleep, Joel, I need a break, I'll go grab one of these. But we will be taking that later. But um, back to where we need to go. See, I look over here, suddenly I'll grab my phone, I'll grab water, anything like that. But we are walking with this, I can't believe, we're, we're going through a little bit of the Gospel of John. We're looking at the Gospel of John. And the reason that we're looking at the Gospel of John is because of this verse right here, these two verses that we have up here. I shouldn't say it that way, but they are the theme verses, really, of our study, of our series here that we were looking at. Because John tells us, John, um, let me just remind us, John, the John that spent time with Christ here on this earth. If you're tired of me here saying that, I, I'm sorry. But I say that every week just so that we remember that when we talk about John that wrote this, the Gospel of John, it's not just, oh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There we go, and we get it. But rather, it's John. John, I spent time with Christ. I walked with him. I was there on the day that he, we, that he was betrayed. As a matter of fact, I was one of the ones that ran away. I was along with the other disciples. We ran away. I came back, and I was watching there as well. I was part of that, but yet at the same time, I, I ran away. We don't know how that all worked, but he's like, I was one of the ones that doubted. I wasn't there that Sunday morning saying, I know he's going to come back because I was smart enough to listen to everything that he said. As a matter of fact, I was so smart that I had to listen to everything that he said, I kept a diary so that I could write a gospel so that people could read it 2,000 years later, right? That wasn't John, but John was there with Christ this entire time, and he wrote a gospel, and he detailed it, and as he wrote that detail, he didn't write it thinking, boy, I'm going to be a hero and a superstar, as I mentioned next year, and everybody will be reading about me in 2,000 years, but rather he wrote it because it's what he observed. It's what he saw happen. And for his entire life, he went on telling people about this Jesus Christ that was a Savior that had risen from the dead. It's that John that wrote this. And he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may... There we go. We've got a handful of you that were here, right? That have been here all along. Right? These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, 
you may have what? We may have life in his name. John, who was there with Christ, believed that believing in Jesus was important. And he believed so much so that we may have life in his name. But John, hang on a minute. Everybody else that believed, are, are you aware, John? Everybody else that believed, they're getting killed. They're being persecuted. If you are a believer, as a matter of fact, John, you outlived, tradition would tell us, you outlived all the other disciples. Are you aware, John? Do, do you want to amend this that we may have life in his name? Because those of us that are followers of him, we are being killed. And John says, no, 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 that you may have life in his name. He wants us to believe. He wanted those that heard. He wanted those that read this to believe that he is Jesus and that they have life in his name. So this I Can't Believe series, week number one was this idea that we, are, that we become religiously immunized, right? I grew up in the church. I've believed in God since I was born. And, I, and on and on and on our story goes. And we're just like, so I must be a believer because I, I do good things and I'm better than the guy down the street. And true. Uh, and you can see the way I live. I go to church, and right? I've been there all my life. And we become religiously immunized, and suddenly we are individuals that don't think that, we, that there's anything else that we need to do. And yet our belief isn't authentic faith of ours, but rather it's somebody else's. It's something that we've heard, and we're saying, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. And we need to be cautious. We need to check ourselves for that. The two signs that we had in that week were this, that there needs to be new birth and there needs to be new life. John chapter 3, Jesus talking to Nicodemus and letting him know, you must be born again. And, and Nicodemus looking and saying, what? born again how does that work right so we don't want to be those that are just that think we're religiously immunized and we're safe from everything and i'm good because i'm a good person and i live a good life but rather we need to know that we need to have a new birth we need to have new life last week we looked at this idea that some of us we can be skeptics right we can be skeptics and and when we become a skeptic we look around and we're like ah that's just all stuff that's made up the bible the stories of the gospels those are just individuals that wrote this in the four and five hundreds, uh, four or five hundred years after Christ because they wanted to make up a religion. And if you remember, if you are a skeptic this morning, one of the things that I challenged you with is you need to do something with the first century. Something occurred in the first century. You need to do something with that. How is it that a group of less than a hundred people suddenly becomes a church and within a hundred years? They, they are spread all around the known world at that time. And within 200 years, they're changing the known world in the sense that Rome is being unified because of Christianity. The place that was, that was persecuting them all right, is now using Christianity as something that unifies. You need to do something with that. You need to do something with all the writings that reference back to the first century in Jesus. You need to do something with that if you are a skeptic. And our example was Thomas. Why? Because Thomas doubted. He wasn't there at that first meeting, and he doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead. And when he saw Jesus, he looked at him, and Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Those were the words of Thomas. As he, just do, as he said that in John chapter 20, My Lord and my God. Which brings us to today. All right, today, as we're going to continue on, we want to continue on with this idea of I can't believe are we short-sighted? Sometimes in our lives, we become individuals that are short-sighted in our lives, right? We don't see the long, the long end. We just see what's out here in front of us. And if Christianity is good for me and everything's going well for me in my life, then I love the idea of Christianity. But all of a sudden, things seem to go wrong for me. And all of a sudden, things seem to start going bad for me. Well, maybe this Christianity thing isn't everything that it's cracked up to be, right? 
Because we think that, oh, it's supposed to be, my life's supposed to be all roses, all right? I'm supposed to be doing well and moving forward. And we become short-sighted in our walk with Christ. And this morning, we want to challenge our thought on that. We want to challenge how it is that we think about this life and about our Christianity so that we don't become individuals that just are short-sighted in our Christianity, but rather we see the long-term, what is taking place, that we become individuals who are faithful in our walk with Jesus Christ. William Carey, who was a missionary to India back in the 1700s, said these words here, I am not afraid of failure. I am afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Think about that in your life. And in my life, what are some of the things that, wow, I am really, really good at, and they just don't matter, but I want to become better at them, right? Sometimes we, we become so enamored with our finances, right? We become so enamored with finances and with money and needing more and not having enough, right, that that can become our main focus, and, and, and it's very important, right? It's so important, and yet at the same time, we can take our eyes off of what is most important, the people around us, right? Um, sometimes we can become so enamored with a broken relationship over here that we forget to look around at the relationships that we have around us, of the people that are loving and that are so kind to us, and we can just become broken by this person over here, oh, but they broke, and yet you have this whole group over here that is willing to love on you, and it, it can just dominate our lives. Why? Because we want this. Um, how about social media? You can see all the wonderful things out there that other people are doing on social media. Or I can take it and I can gripe and I can complain about so many different things on social media. And all of a sudden, my life becomes through social media. And inside here, I'm just empty because guess what? My life doesn't add up to the, to the people out there. Or my complaints, they're not answered and taken care of anyway. And all of a sudden, I become short-sighted in my life, realizing that my social media platform, that doesn't fulfill my entire life either. So we want to be cautious that we don't become individuals that we're we, that we become so afraid that we become afraid that we're not afraid of failure, but we're afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. One of the things that I joke about that I get picked on about is is I know useless sports trivia, and I like knowing useless sports trivia. But do you know what? It really doesn't do me a whole lot of good. I haven't ever won on Jeopardy or any of the other shows like that. And I don't know all the Jeopardy answers. It's got to be the sports column. That's the only one I know, right? Ask me anything else. I don't know. But, any, but anyway, it hasn't, ever, it hasn't ever won me anything, but I just have some useless sports information up there. Anybody else in here like that? Yeah, some of you are like that. And others of you are like, hmm, sports, I don't know what that is. I don't know. But you have some sort of useless information up there that you're like, yeah, but I like having it, right? And that's good. We need to be cautious in our life. This morning, what we want to do is we want to take a look at, um, we're going to take a look again in the Gospel of John, and we're going to be taking a look at God, John chapter 6. I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles. You want to turn there to John chapter 6. Uh, use, uh, use, your, um, you, use your mobile device, bring up version, whatever it is that you'd, like to, that you'd like to read through and look through. But we are going to be going through, this is a very long chapter, but we are going to try to go through parts of it and look at it rather quickly because of what Jesus says. His responses, excuse me, in this chapter of the Gospel of John. You see, it starts out with this story right here. If you were familiar, if you've been in church, you've heard this story. If not, that's all right. But the story of John chapter 6 is of Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. And how did he feed all of them? He fed them with five loaves and two fish, a young man who had brought his lunch, 
to hear Jesus speak. He's talking along. Oh, and here Jesus is speaking to a large crowd of people, a large gathering, thousands of people. And the disciples are there. Hey, Jesus, it's getting late in the day. Your message is a little long. We're tired. We're hungry. But they say it this way. Jesus, I think the people are probably hungry. We've been teaching for quite a while. It's time to send them back to the villages so they can get something to eat. You know, they're kind of, and the disciples are probably thinking like you are right now. I'm hungry. Is Joel about done? What's going on? Don't laugh at that when you're not supposed to. All right. Anyway, but, but th that's what the disciples say. And Jesus says, you know what? How about if you guys feed them? And they're, uh, they're scratching their heads. How are we going to do this? And, and Andrew comes back and says, hey, I found this lunch that a guy has. But what's this among so many? Yes, Andrew, what is that among so many? Jesus tells them, sit down, we're going to feed them. And they go through and they feed all the people. And not only do they feed all the people, they all eat as much as they want. All right, And in eating as much as they want, there's leftovers that they gather up and bring together. And the disciples are looking around and saying, restaurant, this is where we're starting. This is a great idea. The disciples are looking around and they're amazed. How does this happen? How does this take place? All right, well, the story that we are looking at with Jesus builds on that here in John chapter 6. Because after that happened, this is what took place. After these things, there we go. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they begin to say, surely this is the prophet who is, who, um, who is to come into the world. So the people are looking around. They're seeing the amazing thing that Jesus did. And they're, they're like, whoo, that's incredible. How did he do that? Surely this is the prophet that's supposed to come, right? They're looking around. The Jews are looking for a Messiah, and they're, they're like, hmm, there's somebody that's supposed to come before the, him. Uh, maybe this is him. And they're, they're like, hey, this is the prophet. This is the one that has come. And Jesus, who knows what there is going on in their minds, he knows what's in their hearts. Jesus, knowing what, that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus is aware of what their plan is. He's aware of what their desire is. Their desire is that we're going to make him king. Think about that. Feed the people, right? Heal the people. You will have a good political platform. People will want you to come and take care of them if you are able to do those things right there, right? Feed and, and heal. That's some of the things that Jesus has done. Um, following this passage in John, as we move forward here in John chapter 6, Jesus sends his disciples out on the Sea of Galilee. And this is a story that if you, again, if you are familiar with church, you have heard where Jesus comes walking on the water out to them. They are rowing. They are having difficulty. And Jesus sends them away in the boats alone. And he's like, hey, we're going to get away. We're just going to go over here. But he sends the disciples away, and he goes up by himself. And Jesus walks out on the water to them. Now, to the other side. We're going to jump over that story again. We're going to jump ahead in John chapter 6 because of where we're going with this story. But what happens next is this right here. When they, that is the people. Remember the people back that just watched Jesus, that just were fed by Jesus. There was a number of them that that night as the disciples leave, they see them get in the boat. They see Jesus walk away from them. And now all the people are there like, hey, where did he go? Where is Jesus? We want to go find him. So when they, that is that group of people, found him on the other side of the lake, so they, there were actually, if you, if you read the gospel there, more boats came, a number of them came around that. Others would have walked around probably. Um, the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? All right, they're curious, when did he get there? Why? Because they knew that he didn't get in the boat, so they're kind of curious about how in the world did you do this? What happened? How did you do this? How did you beat us over here? But anyway, Jesus doesn't address that. He continues on. He says, Jesus answered, 
Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You are looking for me because guess what? My food was very good because I fed you and you saw a miraculous sign. You're like, wow, that's awesome. And Jesus continues on and he says this, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to, inter- to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Think about that statement right there. Do not work for things, for food that spoils. What about us in our life? That goes back to what are we thinking about? What is it that we invest in? What are some of the works that we invest in that just spoil? If I'd been thinking early in the week, I would have brought some bananas that were really bad and left them in the car yesterday, got them really overheated, and I would have offered somebody some nice brown, black, ugly, horrible bananas, right? And and we would have made banana bread. There you go. And nobody would have wanted to eat them up here. Why? Because they would have spoiled. But... But you and I, we know that it's not just food that spoils. Sometimes it's the things that we do in life that spoil. We blow it. Going back to what I mentioned before in a relationship. We blow it in work. We blow it with finances. We blow it with people. We blow it with patience. We blow it with love. We blow it with being kind. We blow it with showing hope. We blow it in our lives by missing things and allowing what is, what is most important in our lives. We just miss sometimes because we're going after things that God has said, you know what, be careful. They spoil. Passage continues on. They asked him, right, the, the people again, they asked him, what must we do, uh, what must we do to do the works God requires? This is a good question that they're asking, right? They're there, they're there like Jesus is saying, listen, be cautious because the things that you do, they're going to spoil. And they look at him and they're like, Lord, what, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to do what are the works of God? How do we come about doing that? And Jesus looks at them and he answers them with this. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Believe in the one he has sent. So they continued on and they asked him again, what sign then? Will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? So what is their thought here? They're looking at Jesus and they're like, okay. We, we, remember, we, before we thought maybe you're the prophet, maybe you're the one. So do a sign for us. Do something for us. How, how is it that we're supposed to know? And not, not only that, they reference back our ancestors. He, they reference back our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He, that is God, gave them the bread from heaven to eat. So they reference back to their history. Listen, our ancestors, we've heard the stories about how they ate manna back with Moses. And and what are you going to do? What what great sign are you going to show to us? You know, that meal thing yesterday, that was great, but can you keep that up? Can that become a regular occurrence, just like the manna was back for them then? And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread God has sent, he continues on, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they answered, 
always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am, he continues on, the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue among themselves, right? They began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And if you've ever read this passage of Scripture, it's one of those passages of Scripture that's difficult in life, right? That sounds really strange. Because Jesus continues on and he says to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. This is the bread, he continues on, that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Let's stop right here a minute and just look at this. The bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. As Jesus interacts back and forth with these individuals, there is something taking place here that is of great interest. And we should catch it if we are those that have read the Gospel of John. You see, back in chapter 3, which we talked about just a little bit earlier and in detail a couple of weeks ago, when Jesus talks to Nicodemus, he tells him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is there like, what do you mean must be born again? How can a grown man enter back into his mother's womb? It, it can't happen. He's there like, that, that, that's not biology. How does that happen? And, and in the midst of something that Nicodemus is talking physical life, Jesus is talking spiritual life. Chapter 4 of John, John continues on and he goes and, and tells us a story where Jesus goes and meets what? The woman at the well. And when Jesus is discussing with the woman at the well, he tells her about this living water. And to her, living water was a physical term. It meant fresh water that they had. It's like having fresh water in the world. It was something that they didn't have. So when Jesus tells her, I will bring you living water, she's not thinking spiritual. She's thinking physical. Where's this living water? I would love it if I had something flowing into my house that I could just go and get the water from there and didn't have to come out to this well every day and draw from it. But Jesus was not talking about physical water. He was talking about the spiritual water that he was, that he was going to be, that he was bringing the life to. And again here in chapter 6, the people are talking physical. They are thinking food, right? You fed us food, all right? We like the idea of food. We are thinking food. They turn back and talk about their ancestors. They ate manna back in the desert, and God delivered that. Mo or excuse me, they say Moses delivered that, right? And Jesus returns it, turns back around, and he says, listen, I don't want you to think that it was Moses that delivered it. It was God that delivered it, and I want you to know that God right now is delivering the bread of life today. And they're looking and they're saying, bread of life that we can have always? They're just like the woman at the well. They're saying, good, we'll take it. Where is it? Eating is a difficult thing. Finding food can be a difficult thing in life. If you are willing to bring us food that we can have every day that will never spoil, believe me, we will take it. And they're thinking physical, and Jesus is talking spiritual. And he's looking at them, and there's a disconnect. They're missing that the bread from heaven has come down. They're looking for manna. 
They're looking for what was provided in the past. And Jesus is there. There is something new here today, and it is the bread of life. Sometimes in our lives, we get so caught that we are chasing and that we are living for things that spoil. You see, in your life and in my life, there are times where are you living for things, for something that spoils? We want to be careful in our lives. We want to be careful. We want to be sure that as we are walking through our life, are we the ones that are just looking? Is this where we're at? That we are just looking for something that spoils? We're living for something that spoils without knowing it? You see, these individuals that right here are face-to-face and talking with Jesus, they're talking with Jesus. Now put that in your mind. They're having a conversation. They're interacting with Jesus, but they are trapped by the fact that they are caught in the physical world, and you and I can be trapped in that same world. You know what's really interesting? Lean in and listen closely to this one. Sometimes, this is, by the way, this is why you came today. You want to know this. Did you know that sometimes... What we don't know is what we don't know. That's pretty smart, isn't it? You're glad you came. Make sure you write that down, all right, because you're going to want to remember that one later, right? You're going to want to keep that one with you. What I don't know, I don't know, right? They didn't know. They didn't realize Jesus is talking spiritual to them. And in your life and in my life, sometimes we get so hung up on the physical. We get so hung up on what our needs are here in this world that we get trapped. And we get caught. It's amazing. Jesus said the words, you know what? Solomon, in all his splendor, in all his glory, wasn't dressed like the lilies of the field. And he goes on to say, my God knows your needs. He knows what it is that you need. God, you clearly don't know what I need. I mean, after all, Powerball went up more, and I was really hoping to get that. Think about it. If I had gotten that, all the good I would have done with that. I would have been kind to all of you here today, right? Yeah, you would have liked that. See, now all of you want me to win, all right? What if everything that was out there, every problem in life, was taken care of tomorrow? You had all you needed. All your relationships around you were healed. Everything that was broken was taken care of. And yet you still live without God. You would still be lost. You would still be far from God. And we would still have a Christless eternity. You see, if we live for things that spoil, there's not, I want want you to be aware, there's a lot of things that we live for, there's nothing wrong with them. There are a lot of things that are important to you. Obviously, making money is very important. You want to raise your family and take care of them. Obviously, there are causes that you are interested in. Maybe it's a political cause. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a feeding, caring for others, caring for the needy. Those are all important causes. And if we forget to do them in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, guess what? We fall short in that we will just be those that participate in those things that spoil. Because at the end of life, if we don't have Christ, if we've done it without the bread of life, we are falling short. From this, from this time forward, Jesus continues on, or John continues on to tell us, that from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And they didn't follow him because they didn't understand. All right, Jesus, eat of your flesh, drink of your blood? What, what are you talking about? Th- that is so strange. We're not doing that. That's, 
No, that's, that's the other nation down, down the street from us. They do that stuff. We don't. Then he said, we're not following any long. And they turned back and they could no longer follow him. Jesus looked at his 12 and he said, do you want to leave too? And Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? Peter realizes something here. You have the words of eternal life. Where else are we supposed to go, Lord? Where else can we go? You see, if we go here, we're, we're going to miss something. And Jesus is there. Do you guys want to leave? Peter's no. And Peter continues on, and he says, We have come to believe. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter realized something that the people, they just weren't able to realize. They weren't able to realize. Why? Because they didn't know what they didn't know. They weren't aware. They were struggling. They're still looking for the things that spoil. We want food. Oh, we want food that doesn't spoil. We'll take that. Peter realized that our greatest need is satisfied in God. How about you? Is your greatest need satisfied in God? That's what we want to be aware of. Our greatest need satisfied in our God. Rick Warren says these words here. He says, you never, you never know God is all you need until God is all you have. Sometimes we become so enamored with all we have, right? We can sometimes focus on what we don't have and be aware that, boy, I, I don't have enough. I, I need more, right? I, there, there's an iPhone 13 coming out, and I don't have that yet. I need that, right? Um, whatever the case may be that we need, we become enamored with what we don't have. And yet, Christianity grew in the first century in the midst of persecution, in the midst of famine in the midst of people who didn't have a prosperity, prosperity gospel mindset, but rather in the midst of people who believed that something had happened, that their Savior had risen from the dead. And when we become aware that God is all you, the, the, when we become aware, just like he says right here, like Rick Warren says, that you never know God is all you need until God is all you have is when our lives start to change because we need to be aware that our God is what we need our greatest need satisfied in our God. What I want to do is I want to encourage you to grab onto your grab onto your communion cup if you have that with you. Because you see, when Jesus said this to his when he said this to the people there, he said, You know what? Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. They found that as a very strange, as a very weird, as what kind of term is that? How in the world can a term like that even come from somebody? Who in the world makes that statement? They weren't aware of what was going to take place. With that cup that you have right there, there is a little piece of cellophane on top, and there's a little wafer underneath that. If you peel that back, you'll get this. I want to let you know, if you were a guest here today, this is something we do every, every month, every six weeks in that range there. And communion is something that we do. It's, it's a reflection on the Lord's Supper. It's a reflection of what took place on the night that Jesus was betrayed. It was a reflection of what took place the night prior to the crucifixion of Christ 
when he gathered his disciples that were those that were close to him around him and he said gentlemen I, we're going to do something different here tonight and we're going to break the bread and i'm going to give it to you and i want you to know that it's my body which is broken for you and for those disciples in the room that night as they heard that they thought your body which no 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 this is talking about the passover from a couple uh, from over a thousand years earlier when moses led the nation of israel out of egypt out of slavery and they're scratching their heads but jesus says no 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 this is my body which is broken for you and this morning as we join together if you are a believer in jesus christ we do this as a reminder to us of what christ did for us we don't do this believing that we are eating his flesh or drinking his blood but rather we do it to remember the spiritual sense that his body was broken for us that he was the bread of life not the physical feed into my mouth bread of life but rather the bread that gives life through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to the people that are in a dying world that need a savior so I encourage you if you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ that you would take that wafer and that we would eat this together all of us in this sense right here as a reminder that the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was the bread of life for us let's eat together These cups can sometimes be difficult, so I would encourage you to peel back that cellophane layer over the, or whatever layer it is there, over your juice as well. Because you see, Jesus went on to talk that evening when he was with his disciples, and he said, and he took the cup as well. And you see, this ceremony that they had, it had a very religious ceremony for Jews. And when he took the cup, it was a reminder of the blood. You see, all those thousands of years ago, when again, when Moses had led them out, they were to take the blood and they were to paint it on their door, and that protected them that evening from an angel who had swept through. And that's what the reminder was for the Jewish men that were there. And they're there like this blood, the cup, it represents the blood of the lamb that was spilt, that was killed and used. And Jesus says to him, this cup, this, this represents my blood, which is spilled for you, which I have given, which was broken for you. And the disciples, again, they're probably sitting there scratching their heads saying, I'm not certain what you meant. But three days later, when they saw a risen Savior, they fully knew what he meant. So we, again, we come together as a body, not because we believe that this cup is the blood of Jesus Christ, but because it is a reminder that it is the blood of Jesus Christ that gives us life, and we are thankful for that. Why? Because we were broken and we were dead in our sins, and yet the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior has delivered us from the punishment of our sins. And this cup is a reminder of that Savior who died for us. Take 
and let's drink together. Before I close in prayer, I want to just remind us. One of the things that I am reminded of in a group like this, even as Pastor Jeff comes up at the beginning and he says, hey, you know what, it's good to be away, but I'm so happy to be back because I missed you. Just over the last couple of weeks, it's interesting, the stories that I've heard, I heard about Chris talking to one of our fellow ladies that was here that was going through some struggles and he encouraged her and he built her up. Talking to another gentleman this past week who was talking about the difficulties in his life. And guess what? He's encouraged by somebody that is here and here at this church. So as they, they encourage him and build him up. And I'm reminded because that's happened like three times, three or four times in just the last two weeks about somebody else that is here in this room, that is up here, that is a part of this church, that is encouraging somebody else. And they probably never even knew it. They probably never even realized it. They were just talking like they normally would to one of their friends, encourage them through some difficulties. You see, we each come in with difficulties. Sometimes we're short-sighted. Sometimes we're unable to see. You know, sometimes we want to do the big, spectacular, amazing, and sometimes it's just the love that you show to somebody else that's here that encourages them in their walk. Sometimes in Christianity, you hear somebody like me stand up and speak, and you're like, oh, I got to go do something big and amazing and wonderful. Sometimes our walk with Christ is just the way we live our lives every day, encouraging and having effect, having an effect into the life of the person right next to us, the person down the street from us, the person in the cubicle next to us, the person that you're able to give a word of hope, a word of life, and encourage them in their walk with Christ. You never know the effect that may have. Don't let our short-sightedness catch us and pull us back from showing the love of Jesus Christ to those that are around us every day. If you would bow your heads and pray with me, please. God, as we close our time this morning, Lord, it's an amazing thing to be reminded in our lives that we have a God who desires to have a relationship with us. That we have a God that desires that we would come to you with our needs. That we have a God that uses us to encourage other people. Sometimes we don't even know how it came together, Lord, but sometimes there's an experience in our lives that we have had that touches and encourages somebody else. Lord, would you help each one of us to not be short-sighted? God, each one of us still has breath in our lungs in here this morning, which means that, Lord, there is that you are still able to use us. I pray that we would be willing to be used. God, bless each one here. Encourage them. May we go with you this day, Lord, looking for the opportunities we have to live for things that don't spoil 
but rather to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ in everyday life. God, I say thank you, and I pray that you might bless and encourage each one here immeasurably more than, you, than we are even able to imagine through your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is our hope. I pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you. God is good, isn't he? Yes, ma'am.